This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. But that's the story we're going to be talking about today. It's much more interesting than, uh, than it sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And the story we're referring to is the Chicago Tylenol murders, which was a series of deaths in the Chicago metropolitan area in 1982. So on the morning of September 29th, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman walked into her parents' bedroom complaining of a cold. And then her parents gave her extra strength Tylenol to help her feel better. But soon after, her parents found Mary collapsed in the bathroom floor. She was rushed to the hospital where she was officially pronounced dead and her cause of death was initially presumed to be a stroke, which is really weird to me because, I mean, she's 12 years old. What 12-year-old do you know suddenly dies of a stroke? It's not a common thing. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me at all because I remember you saying that they initially ruled it as a natural cause. And I was like, oh, she must have been older. And you're like, no, she was 12. I'm like, what? Like, if you're 12 years old... The only natural cause I could imagine is, you know, if you had some kind of underlying health disorder or some kind, something mm-hmm. that had been going on for a long time. But to just assume that a 12-year-old had a stroke, like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think that happens very often. So I didn't understand why that was like their first instinct, like, oh, yeah, she had a stroke. I just didn't get that. Yeah, me too. I mean, if a 12-year-old suddenly passed away, I would be pretty suspicious too. You know, that's not a common thing. She was very young. I mean, I don't know if she had any underlying health issues. Perhaps she did. And that's why, you know, the doctors thought that it was not that strange. But anyway, later on that same day, uh, 27-year-old Adam Janus, who stayed home from work that day, started feeling ill and had trouble breathing after taking an extra tank Tylenol. Uh, Paramex brought him to the hospital where he died, unfortunately. And that sadly is not the only tragic thing to happen to the Janus family because while Adam Janus's family gathered at his home to grieve for him, 
Adam's younger brother, 25-year-old Stanley Janus, and his wife, 19-year-old Teresa, both complained of headaches and took extra-strength Tylenol from the same bottle that Adam had. And moments later, they both collapsed and were soon rushed to the hospital. Stanley died quickly, but his wife, Teresa, was ill for two days before she eventually died. That is so devastating because it sucks because it's like it was right under their noses. But why would they have thought that it was the Tylenol? You know, it's like obviously they thought they probably thought because, I mean, 27 year old man, that's pretty young. But they probably would have thought like maybe he like there's a number of things that could happen. You know, people have random things that that make end up making them die. And he was he did stay home from work the day and he was feeling ill to start with. So maybe it was in my mind, I'd be like, oh, maybe, you know, whatever. It was something. It was an underlying health issue that we never knew about and he didn't know about. Um, so, of course, they weren't thinking the Tylenol was the problem. I know. Um, yeah, the losses this family suffered, unfortunately, it was very tragic. They suffered a lot. You know, like three of their family members died all in the same day, pretty much. Or at least they fell ill all on the same day. But, I mean, to be fair, I don't know if... It seems like the first victim, um, or all the four victims so far that we mentioned, all um, fell ill on the same day. So, I mean, I don't know if the cops even, or anyone really knew what was going on yet. I don't know if there was a time for a warning because it it all kind of seemed to happen all at once. Oh yeah, totally. Like, I think that there is no way for anyone to have known. It wasn't like, um, like the police didn't catch on quick enough. Like it wasn't their fault. Right. Um, cause yeah, literally all happened in the same day, but I was just thinking like, if only, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if only it had happened a little differently. Like, it's just so disappointing to look back and see, like, this all happened so quickly. Just people started dying one after another. And, you know, obviously, who's going to think it's the Tylenol? Nobody's going to automatically think this thing that we've all taken before and, you know, everyone has in their cabinet right now um, was killing people. And it's just so sad to see that this one family was hit so hard. Yeah, it's I can't even imagine, like, the devastation they face, like, the grief, so many family members taken away from them and I mean you know this is such a traumatic event I can't even imagine what they had to go through right and another victim was Mary Rayner she was only 27 the same age as Adam I believe yeah he was also 27 um and she had just given birth to her fourth child a week before this happened so she had her fourth child she's happily married um and she was taking the tylenol just for like post-birth discomfort and unfortunately her daughter was the one that found her her eight-year-old daughter was the one that found her um dead or or witnessed her dying from this poisoning and her husband ed like found her shortly after um and i as far as i understand she was already dead before she even got to the hospital and it's just so tragic um that the the daughter was the one that, you know, had to see this happen. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the trauma that would face. Like, can you imagine, like, being so young, like, that's such an impressionable age to find your mother, like, collapsed on the floor. I, you know, I can't even imagine, like, what she had to go through and how she was feeling at that moment. It's just so crazy. Yeah, and of course, all of the, the cases are tragic, but this one really got to me just because she literally had her fourth child a week ago. Mm-hmm. So... And she's 27 years old, right? So in my mind, I'm like, okay, one of her daughters is eight. I'm assuming none of her daughters or none of her kids are much older than that. So she left behind four young children and her husband, one of them only a week old, you know, a week week old uh, baby needs its mom. Like that is just so, so tragic that she had this happy family. They were just starting out their life together and it was all ripped away from her. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. I mean, like so many, like all cases, um, you know, where someone has been killed is just so tragic. But this especially, you know, um, there's just so many victims and so many different families affected by this situation. Right, because it's easy to just hear the, like, just hear that people died and be like, oh, that's sad. But then you hear the case, the actual specifics of it, you know, her daughter found her own mom dead and she had all these kids that she was leaving behind. And it's just like, damn, like, you really feel for them. Yeah, you really do. Right, and there is another victim who also, her name is also Mary. There's a few Marys in this case. Um, And her name is Mary McFarlane, and during her shift at an Illinois Bell store, um, she took an extra strength Tylenol, and she was in the floor in minutes. Um, she was also, they were all pretty, like, similar in age. She was 31 years old, and her brother reported that she had taken the pill to relieve a headache in the back room of her workplace, um, and she collapsed shortly after. Wow. I know. It's crazy to think that something can kill you that quickly, and she had no idea. You know what I mean? It's not like, I mean... You know, things like that happen all the time, like car accidents, and it's all over in the blink of an eye. But it's just Mm -hmm. so sad to think she was just at her shift like a normal day. And then a few minutes later, she's dead on the ground. Yeah, she. I mean, no one saw that coming. Of course. And uh, the last um, victim was a 35-year-old flight attendant for United Airlines. Um, And so she had just taken a flight from Las Vegas to Chicago to O'Hare Airport. Um, She arrived at 9.30 p.m., and she bought a bottle of extra-strength Tylenol from a local Walgreens. And on the day of her death, um, she had had flown from Las Vegas to Chicago, and she was found the next day, which was October 1st, and she was dead in her um, hotel room with the open bottle of Tylenol nearby. So clearly she had taken uh, one of the tainted pills. On September 30th, so this was Thursday, September 30th, September has 30 days, right? Yes. So the day before um, Paula was found, Mary Rayner and Mary McFarland, both Marys, were pronounced dead at the hospital. Yeah. So uh, for this case, before the two deaths, the first two victims, uh, 12-year-old Mary um, and the Adam Janus, were thought to have died of natural causes. Like we mentioned before, um, it was believed that Mary had died of a stroke however when the other members of the Janus family fell ill that's when hospital officials started to become suspicious so uh one of the medical directors of the hospital's intensive care unit Thomas Kim at the time told Chicago Magazine quote as I was putting my blue blazer to leave around 5 30 a nurse told me that they were bringing the Janus family back and I said well it's probably the parents because they're feeble and they may have been very upset and the nurse said no it's his brother I've been talking to the six-foot healthy guy, and I said, well, what happened? Did he faint? And she said, they're doing CPR, and they're working on his wife, too. That's when I took my blazer off. It was found afterwards that each of the victims had taken Tylenol shortly before their deaths, and investigators examined the bottles and noticed an almond smell. Cyanide is known to give off the scent of bitter almonds. Right, and it was determined that all seven of the victims died due to drug tampering of the extra-strength Tylenol um, brand of cinnamonifen. And they had been laced with potassium cyanide. Yeah, and that's really scary because I feel like it was such a random attack, you know. And it had never happened before, obviously, um, because no one ever thought that any of their medicines could be drugged or poisoned in any way. 
Right. And we'll get into that in a, just a little bit about how, how random it really was um, and how the motive seems so convoluted. Like, we don't really know what the motive was. And right, yeah, it's, yeah, it's such an unassuming thing. Like, Tylenol, you know, yeah, I would take that for a headache or whatever the issue may be. I would never be scared to take that. It's, it's crazy that that's what um, this person chose to, to poison. Um, right. And so Johnson & Johnson was the company... Um, producing this Tylenol and shortly after they were notified they sent out a nationwide recall and police officers informed the public to throw out their Tylenol um, like all their Tylenol pills and the stores removed it from their shelves so they they did that right away again it's not their fault that they didn't know it was so random and like you said why would you have assumed it was Tylenol so I think they were just doing their best and they were like okay just get it all off the shelves um, and later it was found that the bottles had been tampered with or the bottles that had been tampered with came from different factories and investigators determined that neither the manufacturers nor their employees were responsible. So again, that goes back to this idea of like, they were from different places. It was just random. And furthermore, from all the bottles that they collected, they found a total of eight bottles from seven, seven different stores. And each, this is the thing that really gets me, each bottle contained between three to 10 capsules that were laced with potassium cyanide. Which, when I heard that, I was like, wait, what? Because I'm thinking in a bottle, there's probably between, I don't know, like 50 to 100 pills. Yeah, about 50, yeah. Right, and there's only 3 to 10, so only a fraction of those that were actually laced with it. Which really, again, makes it so confusing because I'm like, if this person's motive was to just kill as much as they can, why wouldn't they poison all the pills why did they have to only poison a few of them so the person was playing russian roulette with their pills you know like i don't understand that at all yeah like that's something that really confused me as well you know because if the person who did this uh motive was to you're right like if their their motive was to kill as many people as possible it wasn't very effective because you know um there were only seven victims and while that's definitely a loss of life for sure like I don't want to minimize that it's relatively small you know for such an elaborate plan it seems like there's a lot of effort that went into it to not have it be foolproof yeah exactly because of course we don't want to diminish the lives that were lost but yeah it wasn't like a huge amount of people I think it's our point that it's it wasn't like um this you know mass murder where hundreds of people were dying so like why why did they do this why did they only poison a few pills in a few bottles in a few stores in one specific place in you know the state like why did they do it like that like what was my my question is really like what was their goal because there's serial killers that like I don't understand them. I think they're sick and twisted, but at least they come out and they're like, this was my goal was to kill a bunch of people. So then you can like use that when looking at serial killers in the future um, to try to understand them better so you can prevent these things from happening, right? But with this one, it's like, I have no clue what their goal was. Was it to kill a few people? Obviously, I mean, that's what happened, you know? But I just, I don't get it. I don't, because the thing is too, Tylenol isn't like, It's not like it was something that a specific type of person would buy. You know what I'm saying? Because Mm -hmm. it's not like something that like a medication for a certain disease or a medication for if you're pregnant or whatever it might be. So that only specific type of people would be buying it. It's just like something that everybody uses. Like we said before, it's so unassuming. Everybody uses Tylenol once in a while. You know what I mean? So it's truly a random murder. It doesn't seem targeted at all, which is just the craziest part of it to me. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. 
Yeah, but one. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. One positive that came out of it was that it led to safer uh, packaging standards for medications across the U.S. So before, just as like a little explanation, because we were kind of wondering about this too, like what what was the packaging standards, you know, before this? Like what, what did a bottle look like before? So they did have the child-resistant cap. You know, we all know that cap you have to push down on and um, open. So they had the child-resistant cap. And then when you opened it, you would have a wad of cotton at the top, and then you just take that out, and there are the pills. But now, as we all know, usually they come in some kind of box or something, and even if they don't come in a box, there's oftentimes like shrink wrap plastic on the outside of the cap, so you have to tear that off first. Um, And then once you do open the child-resistant cap, then there's a foil seal. And that's what I was mentioning earlier, that who would have ever thought that the foil seal has like a story behind it? It just seems like something so obvious, like, yeah, it's just, to, you know, protect the pills or whatever. But obviously that wasn't a thing before because um, now if we were to open a bottle of pills and see that the foil seal was tampered with, we'd be like, okay, obviously I'm not going to take these. But unfortunately they didn't have that before. Um, so that is one good thing that came from it was the improvement of packaging. And as far as like going along with that with, you know, it was so easy to get into the bottles back then. As far as the, the theories, the investigator's main theory was that someone walked in, they emptied out the capsules like at home. So they either bought or stole the bottle, whatever. They, they got the bottle somehow, took it home and then filled them with cyanide somehow, then went back to the store, maybe a different store, I don't know, um, and put them back on the shelves. And a manhunt took place, but it led to very few suspects. And I think the Something really interesting here is that I was thinking, because like when you first told me about this case, I was thinking that someone just walked in with, I don't know, I guess in my mind, cyanide is a liquid and I I was just thinking of it as a liquid. Now, I don't even know, does it even come in a liquid form? I think it does, but... Probably, yeah. Well, so that was what was in my mind. So what I was thinking was somebody walked in, opened the bottle, just took out the cotton wad and like threw a little cyanide in their liquid, just like on top of the pills and then packaged it up. So that's what I was thinking in my mind. I'm like, oh, anybody could do that. That's like takes no skill at all. You know, or you know what I mean? Like that's just like a really like yeah. simple procedure. Um, so I was thinking like it could be anyone. But then when you explained to me, well, actually, can you go ahead and explain like what they think was like how they think the um, they were they're tampered with? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think it did require like a bit more skill than that is what they were thinking because from all the information that I was able to find on this case, it seemed like, you know, that first part was right. They either um, stole or bought the bottles and again, there was no um, seal or anything on it. So they could just literally um, take out the different capsules and it, um, so those capsules are supposed to dissolve um, once you take them, right? And then there's powder inside. Um, so from what authorities think is that someone took some of the capsules apart and replaced, uh, what was inside with, um, the cyanide powder and then stuck the two pieces back together and then returned it to the store and just put it back on the shelf. Right. So when you told me that, cause like I said, what I was thinking is someone just like dumped it in and left. Mm-hmm. When you told me that, that confused me even more because this obviously, if not, skill it at least took foresight and planning but I think it did take some level of skill as well because how are you gonna like if you asked me to open up a a, like a pill and inject it with something and then put it back together that's Mm -hmm. the thing that really gets me put it back together so that it doesn't look like it was tampered with I would be like no pay me a hundred dollars pay me a million dollars I'm not gonna be able to do it you know what I mean right you would have to like look into that for a while you would have to either know about pills or know about something i don't i don't even know what skill that is but you clearly would have to have a lot of planning and and thought put into this so the fact that again that they put so much planning into it so much foresight and probably research as well just to kill like a few random people and just kind of like ruin well not kind of just ruin those families lives you know i don't i don't get it what was the point it seems so random yet so planned it's very confusing Yeah, that's why I think uh, most of the authorities, um, FBI and all the profilers, really thought that this guy had a higher level of intelligence because, like you said, um, it seemed like a very precise process. He had to have at least some information um, on how to do that, you know, because I don't know what the information was back then, but I would assume that not many people would know how to do that or how that worked. So everyone seemed to think that he did seem to have a higher level of intelligence and planning definitely right and like we mentioned earlier the a man a manhunt did take place but there weren't very many suspects because honestly like if i'm putting myself in the mindset of like a police officer in this situation i'm like where do i even start you know like if there's Mm -hmm. like some kind of murder or like a rape that happens you can start with you know maybe like a database of like you know, who do we have that are the people that are convicted of murders or rape or violence in the past. But with this, it's like, where do you even start? Where do you even look to to um, try to find someone who did this? It's, it's very confusing. That must have been very stressful. Yeah, this case is definitely unprecedented. But one, uh, one man that the police did take a closer look at was a tax consultant named James William Lewis. So on October of 1982, Lewis wrote a letter to Johnson & Johnson, you know, who was the manufacturer of Tylenol, right. and he demanded a million dollars to, quote, stop the killings. And the police, you know, they couldn't really find anything to connect him to the murders, but he was, however, charged for extortion for writing the letter, and he did spend over 12 years in federal prison. And some investigators are really split by this. Some of them really truly believe that he was responsible and they have revisited him as a suspect over the years. But some of them really disagree and they don't think that he had anything to do with this at all. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, when I first heard about this suspect, the first thing that came to my mind, obviously, like, I don't know anything about um, crime or investigations, but the first thing that came to my mind was that it sounded fake. Like, it just sounded like a money grab. And I know that sounds ridiculous because obviously he was going to just go to jail rather than actually get money. But people have done this in the past. And it actually, like, it really messes with investigations and it really sucks that people will come forward and take the blame for something that they literally didn't even do, whether it be for some kind of sick sense of like notoriety and fame that a lot of serial killers and different kind of criminals mm-hmm. get, um, whether it's for that or whether it's for money, like for in this case. So I think my initial thought was, okay, that's made up. Like he, he was just doing that to get money. But there's some interesting details about Um, what else he did. So after he got arrested, um, he gave authorities drawings of basically like detailing how one would go about injecting Tylenol pills with cyanide, which is obviously very suspicious. Um, Again, I think for me that I feel like that says more of kind of the same thing that it's BS because why did he like give that up you know what I mean because I'm thinking like if they had found that in his house or something and he wasn't talking about it then it would be like okay that's weird but he like gave it to them you know what I mean but like what do you interpret of that I mean honestly I don't know like he obviously thought about it enough to go through with you know coming up with a design of how to do it so do I think it's possible absolutely I'm very torn like I don't 100% think he did it but I don't 100% think he's innocent either you know what I mean like because he honestly this plan just seems so crazy to me like it obviously wasn't very well thought out I don't know how he thought he wouldn't get caught but that's the thing it's like if he did do it you know like the level of planning that this this crime indicated doesn't really match up with how this guy seems to me like I said this whole blackmail um situation doesn't really seem like a well thought out plan which very much contradicts with what we've known about the perpetrator so far we take this few seconds off to inform you our valued loyal listener about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC the truest story never told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Exactly. And I think that what stuck out to me is that usually when we've heard um, of cases where, you know, somebody either kidnapped someone or started killing people and then they want to send out letters to the public or to the authorities saying like, oh, do X, Y and Z and I'll stop or simply just I'm doing this because of X, Y and Z. Usually, 
I don't know. I Again, like, I don't know every case, but I feel like usually it's at a time where, like, they, they send out those letters pretty early on, you know what I'm saying? Whereas this seemed very opportunistic and forced, like, oh, yeah, that thing that happened, I did it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It didn't seem like, from what I know, there wasn't much of, like, a reason given or any kind of rationale. It was really just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, for sure, I did it. So yeah. I felt like it seemed strange to me and I think that this part is it's like it makes me laugh because if I didn't laugh I would cry but when he was asked about it this was in 1992 um when he was in jail he was asked about those drawings right that he gave the police Mm -hmm. and his response was that he was only trying to be a good citizen by giving authority sketches showing how someone might have done it oh of course yeah I think that's so funny because it's like in what way were you being a good citizen? Because if you didn't do it, you were leading the the um, investigation investigation seriously astray. And yeah, if you definitely. did do it, you weren't apologizing. You, I mean, you you did it right. So it's like either way, you weren't being a good citizen. And it's just funny to see how um, how that like this mindset that this this guy had. And he went on to say in the same interview, he said, I could tell you how Julius Caesar was killed, but that does not mean I was the killer, which I think is um, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because first of all, we all know how Julius Caesar was killed. Right. It's no big mystery. Yeah, it's not a mystery. And that was how long ago, right? You know what I mean? So for him to say like, oh, well, like, like, that's not comparable because this happened very recently and you specifically confessed to doing it. So for him to, like, kind of backtrack and say that, like, I'm not the killer. The killer's still out there. You know, like, you guys are crazy for thinking it's me. It's like, well, of course people think it's you when you admitted. But at the same time, like I said, the um, confession was it was really just to get money. So it, it could have been false. So I don't right, know. I go yeah. back and forth with him. Initially, I was like, no, that's BS. But I just, I go back and forth. I really don't know what to think. I don't know either. Like, but to me, this guy just, his intelligence level, like I mentioned before, just doesn't seem to fit um, the case for me. Like you said, I don't know. This guy, he just yeah, does he, not seem that smart. He does not come off as very smart or like somebody who's very good at planning, obviously. Um, because the way I think of it is like absolute best case scenario, right? For him, he gets a million dollars and then he gets put in jail. That's the best case. Right. So the worst case is you don't get a million dollars and you still get put in jail, which is what happened. So I'm just thinking like he doesn't have a lot of foresight. He's not very, um, doesn't come off as very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's not the case probably for the person who actually committed the murder. So yeah, like the the biggest part of me sides with like, yeah, I don't think he did it. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. And, you know, there is another big theory that a lot of people have speculated over, you know, for a couple years. And that is that it could have been Ted Kaczynski, you know, the Unabomber. And a lot of people say that they believed it was him because he operated um, in the same area, you know, in Chicago around the same time. But I think most people agree that it didn't really fit his profile. Right. And it it definitely was in the same location. He um, was from Illinois and it was the same time period because his killings happened between the 70s and the 90s. So obviously this fell right in the middle of it. But yeah, like you said, it really doesn't fit his profile because first of all, the obvious reason he sent bombs, that was like his mm-hmm. thing. Um, he wasn't, as far as I remember, he wasn't ever connected to any other um, types of killings. Like they were really just bombs. And also 
I don't see like like his um crimes were mostly against like corporations more. I mean, obviously the people who were killed were individuals, but he would send it to places like um you know a university or like airlines or things like mm-hmm. that. He wouldn't um send it to like a random person's house, which would be more akin to giving um somebody tainted Tylenol, right? Because if you take Tylenol, that's just like we mentioned earlier, that's just like a random person that you're killing. But with his um like his bombings they were more towards like i guess corporations i don't really know how to describe it but i just feel like it really didn't fit his profile right. um even though it, it it's like strange that it was the same time and the same um location we've mentioned before in another episode that you know the 70s in california was like not the place to be if you didn't want to get killed by a serial killer because there was a lot of those oh, yeah. <laughs> um here in california in the 70s so sometimes these weird crimes just happen in the same place near the same time period and it actually is coincidence yeah so when you mentioned the whole government thing because i don't really know that much about the unabomber but i know you mentioned that he does target corporations and What's interesting to me, um, like, a thought that occurred was that, oh, maybe the actual threat was towards uh, Johnson & Johnson because they are a very huge corporation. But the thing is, again, like, he never targeted the employees of Johnson & Johnson specifically. It was more just random customers or consumers of their product. But to me, that doesn't seem a very effective way to get what he wanted his message to be across, you know? Yeah, I feel the same way that, yeah, for sure, Johnson & Johnson is a huge corporation. We all have heard of them. But again, yeah, it doesn't really, that's not an effective way to, um, I mean, obviously they had a huge recall. They lost many, many, probably millions of dollars off of um, all of the Tylenol they had to take back. Mm -hmm. But they, they also sell so many other things. You know what I mean? I feel like the more powerful way to become come for a company is to like I don't know to tear apart their their products and say that their products are bad Mm -hmm. like because this obviously had nothing to do with the integrity of their products it was clearly a person who was putting poison into their products so I don't think at least for me I wouldn't think like oh I'm never gonna buy Tylenol again like I mean listen I would probably wait a little bit before I I bought Tylenol but um I wouldn't associate this with the company. I would associate it with the whack job that was committing these murders. So I don't really, again, I just don't know what the person's motive was. Yeah. And, you know, going off that, like, Johnson & Johnson, they did recover, you know, financially. And they did regain their top spot as, like, one of America's leading um, producers in medicine. Not to mention that they were praised actually in the beginning for their quick response to the situation you know they did issue a recall very quickly they um took their products off the shelf so i think they didn't come out too badly in the situation for sure so if that was the um motive i don't think it was very well done so i i kind of don't really believe in that motive for kaczynski to have done this you know but Like I said, you know, many people are puzzled by this case because of the unknown motivation. Like, was it supposed to be a domestic act of terrorism or was it a targeted murder that was just kind of covered up in all the confusion? But, you know, the problem that I have with the domestic terrorism theory is that usually when acts of terrorism happen, a group will come forward to either 
lay claim to it but in this situation there was never any message or demand um issued to the public so if that was the motive then we didn't really see any outcome of that yeah for sure and i think that um like you said when there's domestic terrorism it's usually like a group that's almost like proud of what they did and yeah you know because they like they're trying to make a, a like send a message or whatever um but what message does this send you know and what um like what type of people were they killing? They're just killing this. This person just killed at random, and I really don't think there is any lesson to be learned from this, other than we need stricter um, packaging regulations for for medicine. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I really don't know. Even if there was a group that did this, like they would really have to have a good ra- or there's no rationalization. But it's just like I I just don't get it. Like why why would have someone done this? Like what was the point to only kill? seven people and as we said earlier of course we don't mean to belittle their lives but we're just saying that like again what was the point it's Mm -hmm. not like they killed a huge amount of people and they didn't also kill one specific person for sure so what was it i just it's just so strange yeah like i mentioned before like if it was a planned attack like I think the goal would be to harm as many people as possible. And seven victims is a relatively small amount, especially um, considering the fact that there could have been way more victims um, because of this case than there was, you know. And I think that is partly due to the fast response um, of the investigators and the health officials who were able to realize that there was something suspicious going on because of the Janus family. But again, like we mentioned before, like not all of the pills were poisoned in each bottle. And not that many bottles were poisoned either. So I feel like if the goal was for a mass catastrophe, it didn't really work out that way because it definitely sent a panic throughout the entire country. But, you know, considering the fact that hundreds of people could have died because of this, it is a relatively small impact. Yeah, and I think that something that just occurred to me right now is that Maybe because like like speaking like we were talking about the Unabomber earlier, the Unabomber killed people from the 70s to the 90s. He killed people for a long time and it was very random and it was very meticulous and planned out. So I was thinking maybe this person wanted to do something similar to that where they kill people at random for many years. You know what I mean? And like Mm -hmm. they they like continued it for a long time and it got short like cut short. But the thing is, even if they did want to do that. They had to have known that people were going to put together the pieces. I mean, like you said, Johnson's Johnson was very quick to, to um, issue a, a recall. And I think that the law enforcement was as quick as they possibly could be with figuring out like, okay, yeah, they all took extra strength Tylenol. Like this is, th- this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, oh, they wanted to keep doing this and they wanted to keep p- killing people at random, that one doesn't really even hold water because it's obvious that they were going to get caught early on or like the, the, at least the crimes were going to have to stop early on. So I just, I don't know. It's, I think it's one case that puzzles me more than, than most. Mm -hmm. But another thing too, that I just found strange that popped into my head right now is the fact that why choose only, uh, the Tylenol brand, you know, there are a lot of different brands of medicine and to really maximize the damage that could have been done, I feel like to restrict it to one brand is very specific. Like there, again, there are a lot of brands in the grocery store. They could have picked any single one or several different ones. And I felt like they would have had a higher um, kill impact. You know, they would have had more victims that way. So again, just going back to the question of 
what was the motivation? Like, who did this? Like, why did they do this? That's a good point that I never really thought about that also, that they were all specifically Tylenol extra strength pills. Like, they were yeah. the exact same type of pill, exact same manufacturer, or, yeah, exact same manufacturer, uh, but different, um, like, locations that they were from. That doesn't make sense at all now that you mentioned that. That's so true that they could have done, you know, a little aspirin here, Tylenol there, mm-hmm. different brands, sprinkled it throughout. And they could have gone to more cities as well. They could have done so many different things. Like if they actually really wanted to make an impact, they could have done this in a very different way. They could have like like gone through the nation. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like on a road trip and started like just picking pill bottles at random because it would be that would actually cause a crisis because you can't really just take away all medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they started poisoning medicine at random, they pretty much would have to take away all medicine. So that would have caused a huge crisis. So if they really wanted to like stir things up and make a problem, I don't know why they went about it in the way they did. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just so many things about this case are so puzzling to me and have puzzled investigators too for several decades. So, you know, like to this day, we still have no idea who committed these crimes, like why they did it. And the case is still officially listed as unsolved. Right. And there was a joint funeral that was held for the Janice family members, so all three of them. And it was on October 5th of 1982. And uh, for Paula's funeral, it was held in Omaha the same day as uh, the Janice family in October. So they were, you know, remembered in that way. But it's, you know, it's it just sucks. Like that's never going to they're never really going to have closure, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, like we mentioned before, this crisis has not been solved. None of the victims' families have ever gotten answers. Um, And I'm sure, you know, that just makes it 10 times worse is not only have they lost their loved ones, they just have lost their loved ones and they have no idea why. Right. And if anything, we can look at the positive and say that we did have, you know, we'd have more packaging regulations because of it, but it will remain an unsolved case. And it's um, one of the craziest I've ever heard of. Yeah, for sure. I think um, this is definitely one of the biggest unsolved cases in America today. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's the end of our episode on the Chicago Tylenol murders. I hope you all enjoyed that, and we will be back next week with a new episode. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.